Turn in your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hosea, and we will read from the first chapter and then from the third chapter, the book of Hosea. That's right after Hezekiah. Reading from the first chapter of Hosea, uh, verses 1 through 9, and then the third chapter, verses 1 and 2. The word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. The beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. And the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dilabim, which conceived and bare him a son. And the Lord said unto him, Call his name Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will avenge the blood of Jezreel upon the house of Jehu, and will cause to cease the kingdom of the house of Israel. And it shall come to pass that at that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And she conceived again and bare a daughter, and God said, Call her name Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no more have mercy upon the house of Israel, but I will utterly take them away. But I will have mercy upon the house of Judah, and will save them by the Lord their God, and will not save them by bow, nor by sword, nor by battle, by horses nor by horsemen. Now when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and bare a son. And, go- and then said God, Call his name Lo-Ami, for ye are not my people, and I will not be your God. Then the third chapter, the first and second verses, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for an omer of barley, and a half omer of barley. May God add his blessing to this reading and hearing of his word. The scene is Samaria, or the northern kingdom of Israel, the days of the divided kingdom. Jeroboam II is king. It's a day of wealth and debauchery and vice. Amos, whom we considered uh, several weeks ago, Amos the southern preacher, whose words could not be born. Amos had announced to the nation some ten years before this time the uh, terrible sin of the nation and uh, its ruin that was impending unless it turned. He had announced the, the God's judgment on the surrounding nations, but then he had centered down and brought it right home to Israel and said because of her wickedness that God would punish, God would judge. Now another young preacher, Hosea, stands up and He again sounds the divine diagnosis of Israel's condition. In the fourth chapter, the first verse, 
Hear the word of the Lord, ye children of Israel. The Lord hath a controversy with the inhabitants of the land, because there is no truth, nor mercy, nor knowledge of God in the land. He goes on to say, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge in the sixth verse, because they have rejected knowledge. It's not that knowledge wasn't available. I also will reject thee. And then again, we read in the 8th chapter and the 14th verse, where it says, Israel hath forgotten his maker and buildeth temples, and Judah hath multiplied fenced cities. Israel, very religious, but forgotten its maker, and uh, as priest, so people. As the pulpit goes, so goes the pew. And the problem was centered in the priests, as he says in the uh, fourth chapter and the ninth verse. There shall be like people like priests, and I will punish them for their ways and reward them for their doings. And in the sixth chapter and the ninth verse, there he says, And as troops of robbers... Wait for a man, so the company of priests murder in the way by consent, for they commit lewdness. A lack of consideration of where all of this would lead. <clears throat> they consider not in their hearts that I remember these things, says God. And he goes on to say that uh, Ephraim, or Israel, is a cake half-turned. They are half-baked. <laughs> uh, they... Uh, what will you do in the solemn day when I bring judgment upon you, he asks. There's a lack of earnestness. They return, he says, but not to the Most High. Uh, they are like a deceitful bow. They do not shoot straight. They're not honest in their worship. I desired mercy and not sacrifice. Oh, there was a liturgical revival going on. There's always a liturgical revival, but no renewal of heart. And... So he says uh, that this is their condition, and it's kind of all brought to a head in their attitude towards the true prophet and the spiritual man. The prophet is a fool, and the spiritual man uh, is mad, is a fanatic. The hatred of the people toward the one who really walked with God. Into this situation steps a young preacher, Hosea. He's called to the first Presbyterian church there. And uh, as he is a bachelor, you can imagine what uh, took place as this uh, young man steps into this first Presbyterian church. Immediately, uh, the various eligible uh, young ladies are introduced to him. And uh, as fortune would have it, he falls in love with a young debutante. And uh, yet he realizes that uh, Gomer, this young debutante, is, uh, has an entirely uh, different approach to life than his, that she is uh, from a totally different uh, background, has different goals and aims, a different approach to life. And while he's head over heels in love with her, yet he retains his sense in the matter and realizes that it would be folly to proceed with this. But as he prays about it, uh, 
He gets the go-ahead from God. He has the firm conviction it's God's will in this situation that they marry. And he marries uh, trusting that God will change her as time progresses. And yet uh, she's still wedded to the world and after a brief honeymoon there, they, he finds that she still runs with her old crowd. He finds that uh, she is beginning to want to be away from home on the weekends uh, down at the river, the lake, and that uh, uh, more and more she's uh, simply not around when he's home. And he begins to hear rumors. And then at this point they have their first child. And he hopes that maybe this child will bring them together. Maybe this child will be the thing that will make her assume responsibility and settle down. But it doesn't seem to. There's a growing estrangement. And they have a second child, and by now his suspicions are very strong. And he names this child Lo-Ruhamah, never knew a father's love unloved or she that never knew a father's love. And then when he has the third child, he knows. He names this one, not my people, no kin of mine. He knows that she's been unfaithful. There's a sense of shame there in the manse and in the church. A growing estrangement, a scandal publicly, what shall he do? Finally, and this isn't clear in the story, either he puts her out, having to do something about it. Or maybe he comes home one evening and and there's a note, I've gone off with another man. And the children are there. Now he tries to perform the function of a mother and a father. He takes the three children, he gives them his bear, their bears, and... And he teaches them a new prayer as he kneels with them by the bed. Oh, God, make Mama a different woman and bring her back to us. And after they've prayed that way, then Hosea goes out in the backyard and he gets on his knees. And he pours out his heart to God and he says, God, why? You, you led me into this. I know you did. Why did you let this happen? And as he's on his knees there, out of his despair, comes an answer. As God begins to show him, Hosea, I led you into this because I wanted you to know how I feel. The story of your life is the story of my relation with my people Israel. You went and you bestowed your love on her and you sought her and you you brought her home and wooed her. Just so I've treated Israel, and yet look what they've done to me. And out of this he learns, number one, the true nature of sin. As he brooded over her treatment of him, the word came home to his heart from God, just so has Israel treated me. And he began to realize that sin, sin is spiritual adultery. Sin uh, is seeking satisfaction in an unlawful relation. It's not just a matter of breaking a law and 
as if the only thing we had done had gone against some, some impersonal law or offended a judge, but rather a much truer picture of sin is that it's, it's the case of one who's offended against her best friend or against her husband, been guilty of adultery, uh, one where someone risked their life to save her from a house on fire and then married her and then she turns around and is unfaithful in this situation. This is a truer picture of sin. And Hosea realized this out of his agony. Then he realized the second thing, that God cannot condone sin. God has to, in time, punish sin. Uh, the story is told of a, back in the <clears throat> uh, early days of the South, a, a southern plantation owner who had a son, and he uh, sent the boy off to various colleges, and uh, each one that the boy would get drunk at and be kicked out of. And after the fourth institution uh, kicked him out, finally the boy came home, and each day he would go downtown, and he would uh, get drunk, and he would wind up in jail, and his father would go down and would bail him out and bring him home. This went on day after day, and finally one day the boy had been gone quite a while, and and the the old man's friends would say to him, "Why don't you, why don't you just put your son out?" And he'd say, "No." And the man say, "If he was my son," and he said, "Don't talk that way. You don't know what you'd do if it was your son. He's my son, and and my wife and I have decided that we're going to stick with him no matter what. And we we love him, and we just cannot see him go. And uh, don't lose our friendship." Just let's be friends and neighbors, but just don't tell me how to deal with my boy. I'm going to do whatever has to be done to stick with him. Finally, though, he's been gone for several days, and the father goes down to bail him out of the jail, but instead he's on the streets, and he's drunk, and he sees his father coming, and he reels up to his father, and he says, Go away. And he spits in his father's face. Then he takes his fist, and he knocks out some of his dad's teeth and kicks him into the gutter. Father gets up and gets in his carriage and rides home, and he goes out into a little grove there by his house and leans against a tree for about a half an hour, and then he utters an unearthly scream. He comes and he then sets a chair on the porch, and with his eagle eye he watches the road. Soon his son comes down the road, uh, staggering, and he fumbles at the lock at the gate and finally gets it open, staggers up. The father just sits there until he gets to the second step. And then the father turns him around and kicks him off the porch. And he says, don't ever come back. Don't ever set your, your foot inside of this property again. God has to deal with sin. God is patient. God will wait. God loves, but there comes a time when God has to deal and punish sin. This he began to understand, too. And then he began to realize, finally, uh, God's grief over man's sin as he came to understand the heart of God, how God feels about this, that God's brokenhearted over it, that it's a terrible grief to him. Picture Jesus Christ as he weeps over Jerusalem, all Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Thou that stonest the prophets, and killest them that are sent to thee, 
How often would I have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, and you would not? Jesus wept, and he said, Oh, if you only knew the things that belong to your peace. The heart of God, Jesus Christ, is God. And we see how God grieves over the situation, uh, just as, as Hosea felt. He began to understand these things. Yet Hosea had one more lesson to learn in all of this. Over the years, he kept up with Gomer. He would hear about her as the children would pray each night, Oh, God, make our mama a different woman and send her home. And he would hear from various friends, I saw her downtown in the saloon. I saw her in this situation, in that situation. And then one of his friends came and he said, The man that she went with has done a terrible thing. He has sold her into holotry. Hosea, again, seeks God and he prays about it. And God speaks to his heart. And uh, as Hosea prays over it and says, what shall I do? What shall I do? God says, do what I do. Do what I do. Go buy her back. And so he goes and he buys her back. The third chapter, the first verse there. As it says, verse 1, Then the Lord said unto me, Go yet, love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for fifteen pieces of silver, and for a omer of barley, and a half omer of barley. He goes and he buys her out of this of this bondage that she's been sold into. Sin always winds us up in bondage. It promises freedom. It promises joy and happiness and excitement, but it always winds us up in bondage. We see here the lesson taught of the nature of God's love, a love that will not let go, a love that hedges up the path Uh, our path when we would go astray and turns us back in the second chapter in the sixth verse therefore behold I will hedge up thy way with thorns God as we begin to wander into sin will make it a thorny way and will hedge it and cause us to turn back make a wall that she shall not find her paths and she shall follow after her lovers but she shall not overtake them she shall seek them but shall not find them Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. Bless God's name when we go into sin. God has a way of making it so miserable and so distasteful that we return unto him. Notice in the second chapter, the 14th verse, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness, bring her into the wilderness, This is how God allures when we go astray. He brings us into the wilderness and then makes sweet offers of peace and rest in him. In verse 15, I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope, the valley of trouble for a door of hope. It's the man who goes on in sin and has no trouble that is in the most terrible circumstances of all. God 
hedges up our way with thorns and makes this valley of trouble a door of hope. She shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be that at that day, saith the Lord, thou shalt call me my husband. Verse 20, I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness, and thou shalt know the Lord. Go and buy her. This is, of course, what the Lord Jesus came to do, to buy back all of us who had gone astray. It doesn't mean that we deserved it in any sense at all. Hosea was loving, even though his wife was unlovely. She wasn't lovely now. She was a miserable creature. And yet he still loved because he was loving. It wasn't that she was worthy, but he was worthy. It wasn't that she was faithful, but that he was faithful. And so he goes and buys her back, even though she deserves the opposite treatment. That's the way God loves Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. For the non-Christian, this kind of love should lead us to do what he says later on, break up our fallow ground, to break up our hard hearts with honest repentance, to face up to the fact that uh, we're in exactly the condition they were in and to turn to him in honest uh, repentance. No more sham, no more pretense, no more drawing nigh with the lips while the heart's far from him, but an honest turning and honest submission of our will to his. Any man who does that is going to find God. You find him through Jesus Christ as you realize he bought you back. He paid the price of your return. And it's through faith in him that you can be absolved from the terrible spiritual adultery that you've been guilty of, and not to mention the uh, tremendous <clears throat> power of sin in your life that can be broken. And then again, the, the address to the backslider, as he says in the sixth verse and the first sixth chapter in the first verse, "Come and let us return unto the Lord, for He hath torn and He will heal us." He has smitten, and he will bind us up. Perhaps you have been one who has been a true Christian, but you've turned from the Lord, and you've found the valley of trouble. He has torn you, but now he offers to heal. He is smitten, but he offers to bind you up. He offers to restore unto you the years which the locust has eaten. He offers to comfort and to uh, bless if you will but honestly turn to him again. And then finally for the Christian, think how that woman felt after she had been bought back out of such slavery. Think of the gratitude that couldn't help but well up in her heart. A man who loved her that much that in spite of, of all of that ill treatment of him, yet he would come and buy her back. The, the desire to serve and to show her appreciation should well up in her heart. And so it is with a Christian. We can never repay the debt of a love we owe. It's expressed in the song, I found a friend, oh such a friend, he loved me ere I knew him. He drew me with the cords of love, and thus he bound me to him. 
And round my heart still closely twine those ties which naught can sever. For I am his, and he is mine, forever and forever. I found a friend, oh, such a friend, he bled and died to save me. And not alone the gift of life, but his own self he gave me. Not that I have my own I'll call, I'll hold it for the giver. My heart, my strength, my life, my all are his and his forever. Is there any other response that the Christian can make than give himself fully, freely to serve Christ with all of his heart?